0: We are on the five G's. Uh, The five G's are five attributes of a real deal follower of Jesus Christ. Um, Five G's that describe the kind of person, the kind of disciple that we are seeking to raise here at Harvest. It describes the kind of person, the kind of disciple that we want to see raised for not only this generation, but the generations to come. Uh, five G's and the first of those five G's is that a redeemed follower of Jesus Christ is to be all about glorifying Jesus Christ we just sang about all honor all glory that's what it's all about Colossians 1:18. oh that in everything he would have preeminence That's the idea that in everything of life, life is about the glory of the Lord. We're accelerating to that finish line. That's the center of our life target. And glorifying Jesus Christ includes growing in Jesus Christ. We are called to grow. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built, strengthened in the faith. And we talked uh, the other Sunday about how that has this idea that so walk in him. It literally, it would be in him you must walk. It's, a, it, it, it's an imperative. It's a command. In him you must walk. And it has this idea of present, active, active, continuous. It's in him you must be walking presently and continuously and actively for the Lord's glory. And that's what it's about growing in that. Because, uh, man, if you've been growing, if you were growing two years ago, fantastic. But what about today? If you were growing a year ago, fantastic. Uh, But we're accelerating to the finish line today. Uh, We want to be growing because growing in the Lord glorifies the Lord. And we talked last week, one of the ways to be growing in the Lord is that we be increasingly gracious. Gracious should be a term that fits us. And we're to be gracious because Jesus Christ was gracious. Uh, That's why we're gracious. Uh, If you were here last week, I had my two suits, or my two painter suits, and one was uh, depicting Colossians 3, verses 5 through 9. We're to put that off, not just put it off, like put it over your arm and kind of hold it behind you or something, but we're to what? You remember? Kill it. Put it to death. Take it off and kill it. Put those attributes To death, and then in Colossians 3 12 through 15, I used kind of the term gracious to, to summarize those terms. We're supposed to be putting those on. That's supposed to be describing who we are. So I have an accountability question for you today. I know you're excited about that. Did you use graciousness before you left this building last Sunday? I hope you did. I hope before you leave this building again today. I hope already today graciousness has oozed out of you when we're around one another. Did graciousness ooze from your uh, speech last Sunday at lunch? How about in the afternoon? How about in the evening last Sunday? What about in small group? Did graciousness define you and your speech and your thoughts and your time in small group? How about Monday? What about Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? Got the picture? We're to be oozing graciousness because that's an attribute of Christ and we need to do that. In fact, gracious should describe us. And I am sad to say this, but the word gracious does not describe a lot of churches in our world today. A lot of people on the outside would not say, no, there's a gracious church. Hey, let's be that. Let's be that church. Let's be that people. We're to be growing as gracious followers for the glory of Jesus Christ. Today, we're on the next G, the fourth G. We're also to be growing increasingly as generous people. Generous people. I'm to be generous. You're to be generous because Jesus Christ has been generous on you and I. Um, uh, John Piper has said, Faith in Christ Cuts to the bond of love, I'm sorry, cuts the bond of love to things and creates a bond of love to people. Faith in Christ cuts the bond of love to things and creates the bond of love to people. Another way of saying that is faith in Christ frees me from the love of things and firms my love for people. Is that your heart? Is that your heart? Generous is a lifestyle. Generous is not just a moment when an act was done that was generous. Generous is a lifestyle. Is that your heart? Hey, grab your uh, Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15. As you turn to Luke chapter 15, two things. Number one, maybe you're thinking, this is interesting. It's a month when we're doing a, big capital campaign process um pastor's talking on the topic of generous um everybody grab your wallet and hold tight um <laughs> understand i want to let you know i have just absolutely no problem talking about money i actually enjoy talking about money and teaching about money i really do Um, but I just want to let you know so everybody can kind of release. I want for you to know this. I'm not going after your wallet today. I'm really not. Straight up with you, before we even get going, I want to let you know I'm going for something bigger than that. I'm going after your heart. Because generous is a lifestyle, not just a moment. And we are to be having generous lifestyles We're to see life through a view of generosity. And I'm talking about our time. I'm talking about our abilities, your person, who you are, what you can bring to the table in life. And I am also talking about your stuff. Secondly, Luke 15. You turn in there? You there? Are you? Okay. Uh, Luke 15. Um. I never thought we would be in Luke 15 starting this week. Um, Luke 15, the point of Luke 15, I would not say is to teach generosity. Um, So Doug, why are you going there? There was part of this week, I didn't know why. But it just kept coming on my heart. Because I had really planned to kind of go in and be very practical today and bring a lot of the scripture on just generosity and how to move towards that. But I just got to tell you, this passage just kept coming back and coming back and coming back. So I gave in. Um, Luke 15 is the kind of passage that you read and you walk away and you go, God is so generous. God is so generous. Generous. And that's what I want us to walk away with today, okay? I will probably never teach generosity, if you will, out of Luke 15 again. And maybe you may go good after today. But that's where we're going today, Luke chapter 15, okay? So let's dig in and let's uh, really enjoy it. The Lord has given his time, his person, and his stuff. Chapter 14, actually, take a gander at uh, verse 25, just for context. It says, uh, now great crowds accompanied him. The context of this is that uh, uh, Jesus is going around teaching. If you have a red letter edition Bible, you can see that almost both pages of it is all teaching of Jesus. And there's great crowds that are following him around in this. Go to chapter 15, verse 1. Well, let's narrow in and learn a little bit about these crowds or this crowd. It says, chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. (laughs) This is just such an interesting terminology here. Now, tax collectors in our day were kind of like IRS, boo, kind of a thing. But please understand, tax collectors in that day, it was more like tax collectors or mafia. Uh, that might be a, a better representation of what's going on. These are not good boys, okay, by any means. Um, but the next title is what's intriguing to me. There were sinners in the crowd. Uh, duh! I mean, the Bible says all have sinned, but here's what's intriguing to really be able to understand where this is flowing. You've got to understand kind of these categories. And here's the deal. I think the categories are there because of verse two, because the verse two people love to categorize people. You see, verse two people didn't see themselves as sinners. That was other people. Uh, Verse 2, people, look, uh, they were the Pharisees, let's call them the religious leaders, and the scribes. The scribes, let's kind of call them the uh, attorneys of the uh, religious structure of the day, which was a governing structure. Uh, The Pharisees and the scribes, they were not very uh, uh, generous to people like verse 1. In fact, people in verse 1 irritated the living life out of them. And we can see that because of what they say. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. I think that's really cool. Verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled, saying, this man, who's the man? The man is Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. How sad. How sad. I think why these guys had that view Is because this is actually the view of God that they had. They essentially saw God as a stingy God, a tightwad God. God doesn't give himself to people like that. God only gives himself to certain kinds of people that hit the mark, but not people like that. He's not generous like that. God would not invest his time with them. God would not invest his person with them. God would certainly not invest what he has with people like that. You see, God is not generous like that. That's really what's going on through these boys' mind. Now, I think here's what's kind of cool. Here they are having this, essentially, a view of God carried out into Seeing this person who says he's a person of the Lord, and yet who is this person? Uh, this person is John chapter 1 in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God, and the Word came and dwelt among us. It's interesting. He wouldn't deal with people like that. I think God has something to say to them about that, don't you? I mean, how is it that he could sit and be and engage with people like that? Uh, let's let Jesus speak because I think Jesus wants to say some things. In fact, I think he wants to say the same thing three times so that they like get the idea of what God is really like. So here we go. Jesus begins to teach in parables. Parable, it is a story that teaches, Okay. This man receives sinners and eats with them. So, hmm, stepping up to the table, Jesus speaks. And he says to them this parable. Hey, guys. That's in the Greek. Hey, guys. uh, What man of you having a hundred sheep? How many sheep? A hundred sheep if he lost one. How many did he lose? one if he lost one of them does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost how does he go after the one that is lost he goes after the one that is lost until he finds it very cool and when he has found it he lays it on his shoulders ticked off chewing the thing out no rejoicing very cool and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, Jesus refers back to the crowd and the Pharisees and scribes, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The shepherd knows that one is lost. One out of a hundred The shepherd doesn't send someone else. He doesn't send his wife. He he doesn't send his kids. He doesn't send any under shepherds. He goes. He goes looking for the lost sheep. And he goes looking until he finds it. It's not like, hey, honey, I'm going to go out for about three hours. And if I find it, sweet. If I don't, oh, well. No, he goes out until he finds it. Is that all night? I don't know. Could be. Is that all day? Could be. Is that all week? Could be. It's until he finds it. Oh, I love that. The shepherd gives his time, and the shepherd gives his person in the hunt for the lost sheep. And not only that, the shepherd gives his stuff. Because in the end, when he brings them all together and they rejoice and they have a celebration of restoration, his stuff is used for that. Sweet. Oh, by the way, remember the context. The Pharisees and scribes, they do not like the fact that Jesus is receiving and eating with, you know, sinners. What a stingy view of who God is. You see, God only gives himself and doles himself out to certain people at certain times. And when he doles himself out, he just gives little nuggets. That's a wrong view of God. A wrong view of God leads to a wrong view of life. A stingy God view, guess what? Lends to a stingy life view. I just step back and I go, Jesus says he cares for that they're lost. He put his time and his self into getting them back. And he pours his stuff in, and I just go, how generous. How generous. Parable number two: the lost coin. Boys, what woman? Having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, how many coins? Okay, lost one. How many total? Okay. Uh, Does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently, look at this, until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, guys, I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Uh, This woman here, uh, really, as the Pharisees and scribes and the whole crowd are listening to it, by the terminology that Jesus uses here uh, describing this woman, uh, they pretty much have the clear idea that this is a peasant woman. And most likely, she's a widow. And in that day, being a peasant widow, you don't have much money. Now uh, you can look at the bottom of your bibles and see how much that money is worth and so forth But I just really want to make this point To the pharisees and the scribes of the day The amount of money that she lost They wouldn't be thrilled about losing it But if they lost it, it wouldn't hurt them that much You know, it's the kind of thing where like if you had a twenty dollar bill and you lost it Depending upon what's the reality of your home? Some would be like, I am hunting this whole stinking house till I find that 20 bucks because that's big dollars. And others are kind of like, I'll spend an hour. If I don't find it, next, true. This woman hunts it down. Now, it's very likely that this woman also in the setting of the day and that she probably lives in a small little house and it's very possible that there are no windows in the house. That was not uncommon because so often they lived kind of outside, if you will. And so it even adds to the idea that she grabs the lamp and she looks for it. You're getting the picture of what she's doing. And she's going under every crack and nook in her house, looking that thing down. Why? Because it's of value to her. Context. Pharisees and scribes have a little bit of value, but I wouldn't die over it. To this woman... Big value. Hey, I want to let you know, the lost are of big value to Jesus. Big value. And she goes through and she hunts it down, blesses her heart. And she seeks it out until she finds it. And then she calls together her friends and neighbors and they have a celebration of restoration. He receives sinners and he eats with them. Jesus in this one says, you know what, guys? Not only do I eat with them, but I value them and I hunt them down. How generous. How generous. He's not done. We've got the next story. Um, One of the really cool things about the next story is the intensity increases in the process. So far, the stories have been about sheep and money. Now it moves to a conversation about people. Things and money. And now it's a person. The intensity increases. Also help me with this. How many sheep were total in the beginning? 100, so it was 100 to 1. The second one with the coins, it was what? 10 10 to 1. Now, by the way, guess what? It goes 1 out of 2. I bring all this up because... As the Pharisees and the scribes and everybody else listening to this story, they're understanding what's happening. It's kind of like in a movie as things are moving along and it's kind of dark. And yet in the process of it, it's like getting more and more intense right here. Because now we're talking about one out of two. And we're talking about a person, not a sheep, not a coin, but a human life. And he said to them there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father father give me the share of property that is coming to me and he divided his property between them i've got to stop here because there's so many things in this that you and i because of cultures we just don't fully get what's happening here number one The request is being initiated by the younger son. That's bad. That's bad. Um, Dad hasn't died yet. And in the structure of the day, they would have the inheritance. And the inheritance would be spread to the children. But it was the oldest son who got a greater portion. And yet in this setting, it's the younger son who's coming to the dad and going, Dad, I want to cash out, please. Actually, in this situation, there was no please. Who does that? Who does that? Secondly, in all of this, the younger son's request is a stunning rejection of the family. What he is actually saying by this request is not like, hey, I'd like to go party. What he's actually doing is rejecting his family. And we'll see later in the text, the term dead is used. He's actually saying, hey, dad, you're dead to me. I want my money. I'm leaving. whoa, dude, whoa. Third, we're going to see in just a minute that the story shows that the son ends up going and living life like a Gentile. You see to the Pharisees and the scribe, the Gentiles, us, we're dogs. We're like the lowest of the low of the low. And I'm bringing all this in to understand when Jesus right now in the process of telling these parables, right now in this point, all of the crowd, including especially the Pharisees and the scribes, they are back on their heels, jaws to the ground, stunned by this young son. Nobody does that. That's the extravagance of the, the depth of the, 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 the meanness of this boy. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. That would be referring to Gentile territory. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that land and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. That's the world. Verse 17, this is cool. But when he came to himself, there's a beginning turn process. Hey, if you, if you came to Christ, especially as an adult, do you remember that point when you kind of started putting some things in place? And it's like, you know what? Maybe all this stuff everybody's telling me is so awesome, Maybe it's really not so awesome. In fact, this so awesomeness is just like emptiness. I remember in college in the dorm talking with some of the guys and they were telling about how awesome that party was last night. And I was in the dorm and I was down there and I was seeing what was going on. And I'm like, dude, I saw your head in the toilet throwing your guts up. And that was a blast because I'm telling you last night, you, wouldn't, you weren't saying that. And you come to a point where you go, you know what? It's really not so awesome, actually, is it? That's what's happening with this young man. And he came to himself and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have, had, ha, uh, have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. Here's the key verb, by the way, in the paragraph. I will arise and go. To my father. And I will say to him. Right now he's just thinking all this. I will say to him father. I have sinned against heaven. And before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. By the way. Do you understand better why he says that right now? Because the reason he said that. Was when he left. He said dad you're dead to me. He didn't want to be his son. He had no desire to be his son. He just wanted to cash out. but I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please treat me as just one of your hired servants. And he, father, or I'm sorry, and he, the son, arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and started yelling at him and telling him to leave, you dog. No, look at that. His father had compassion on him. I'm just gonna say, I I, I think contained, this is just Doug, I think contained within that reality is the reality that all the time that the son was gone, dad was yearning for him. And he sees him coming. And there's this compassion. And he runs to him and embraces him and kisses him. And the son said to him, oh, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Pause. You've got to understand, again, one more time, we don't understand the culture of the day. This is a story, this is a parable that teaches the Pharisees and the scribes and the rest of the crowd are there listening to this whole thing. They have just experienced this whole situation of the son leaving, which is like kryptonite to these Pharisees. They're set back in this reality of things. And then the younger son confesses and returns to the father, basically saying, dad, can I just live on the extent of the property? I'm not even asking to come in the house. Can I like live like the slaves, the servants? And then the dad does this act, the relationship, the dad runs, you see him hug him and kiss him, oh, son, and it's restored. But the significance of the robe and the ring and the shoes or the sandals is this is restoring the sonship. The son just wants to live The dad has far more for him in mind. Bring the best robe. Put the ring on his fingers. He's now at full sonship status. Oh, believer, follower of Christ. Do you get that? For you? Full sonship, full daughtership. Not just like off in the distance. Yep, number 65218 full sonship in the house. Oh, so sweet. how generous. How generous. Verse 23. And bring the fattened calf. (laughs) The fattened calf is not just like any calf, but maybe the biggest one. The fattened calf was a special calf. It was the elite calf. It was the big dollar per pound calf. Okay? It was the Saint Elmo's calf. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead. Oh yeah. Because he said, by the way, it wasn't actually the father who wanted to be him dead. The son said, I'm dead to you, because you're dead to me. He was dead. But now he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. No, this is a full-blown banquet. The table is not set with plastic forks and spoons and knives and paper plates. Literally, this had the context of it being in the thing where the best silverware was brought and put on the table. The most expensive beef was prepared and served to scores of guests for this banquet. It's kind of like the father had declared, spare no effort, spare no expense. Why? Well, because the son who had slandered the father and proposed to return as just nothing but a servant boy Is joined back to the Father. And the Father wants to pour it out. How generous. How generous. Not only has the gulf been been joined, but sonship has been restored. That's cause for celebration. Verse 25. Now his older brother. Now the older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf. Because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look. Dad, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never even gave me like the youngest goat to party with my friends. But when the son, but when this son of yours came, do That was a dig. But when this son of yours not my brother, but when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Pause. How ungenerous. Uh, Please understand, I don't have time today. I'm trying to stay keyed in on the father. But who was the oldest son representing? Verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes. The Father can lavish it out. But the Pharisees and the scribes, no, no, no. They hold it in. I just have to say this. Sometimes, my friends, this is you and me. This can be you and me with forgiveness. God grants forgiveness. And yet at times, you and I can be harder on giving forgiveness than God himself is. Do you see a problem there? And here in this whole thing, I can understand some of the frustration and some of the confusion. But boy, understand your father. That was the problem. That's why in the beginning I said the Pharisees and the scribes had a wrong view of God. God is a stingy God. God only doles himself out to certain people who are certain status, with certain capabilities, with certain things like me, the Pharisees and the scribes would say. God doesn't dole himself out to people like that. You see, if you have a stingy view of God you will have a stingy view of your life with others. But here, what's coming out is look at the generosity of the Father. Verse 31, And he said to the Son, Son, you are always with me. Underline these next few words. And all that is mine is yours. Hey, redeemed person in Christ that should be of great encouragement to you. All that I have is yours. Are you kidding me? I'm just telling you, I don't deserve squat of what God has. But his graciousness and his generousness are so over the top. That Frankly, it's hard to grasp. All that I have is yours. Verse 32, it is fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Does God invest his time with people like them? Does God give his person to people like them? Does God extend what he has to people like them? Know this, the Lord is generous like that. John 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Philippians 2, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Second Corinthians 5, for the love of Christ compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, listen, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, who, for whose sake he died. How generous. And because he is generous, guess what? We are to be generous. Generous with our time, generous with our person, and generous with our stuff. Incredibly generous describes our Lord and Savior. Does increasingly generous describe your heart? follower of Christ, uh, generous is to be the way you're to live your life. It's not about a particular generous act. It's about a generous lifestyle. Seeing life through a lens of doling out generosity. Why? Because he doled it out for me. So I ask, where is your heart invested right now? Seriously. Is your heart really invested on more stuff and more power, more cash, more security, more 401k? I'm not saying any of those are wrong. Please understand. It's not wrong to have stuff. It's not wrong to be rich. It's a blessing of God. But I'm talking about how you view life. Is my time for what's important for me or is my time for what matters to Jesus? Is my person about what I want or is my person for what Jesus wants? Is my stuff... And my money for what I ultimately want? Or is my money and my stuff for what's important to Jesus? Do you live and work to have or do you live and work to give? Randy Elkhorn has said, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Do I even think that way? Is that even in my mind at all? I'm just going to tell you, as an American, I think as I look back, I've thought way too often, increased income, increased stuff. I understand the battle. Stuff's not the problem. It's what's going on in our heart and how we look at it. The Pharisees and the scribes needed to hear that the Lord loves people. They needed to hear that the Lord pours out his time and his person and his stuff on people. And we need to hear it too, don't we? We need to be reminded of it as well. Maybe you today uh, needed to hear a biblical view of God. Maybe for you, as we read through Luke 15, you sit back and you actually go, the prodigal son is me. The Pharisees and the scribes, they are me. I actually have quite a stingy, God is a tightwad view. I want to call you, if that's the case, to a new vision of who God really is. He loves you. He cares about you. He cares about you so much he didn't send someone else. He cares about you so much that he came himself to die on the cross. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I I would call you lovingly as I would, I would call you to repent and to come to the Father. In fact, verse 21 says it so well. That's repentance. Lord, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to be your child. But because of what Christ has done, would you bring me back? And know this, when that takes place, ka-chung, full sonship, ka-chung, full daughtership. How sweet is that? Maybe for others, follower of Christ, I would say this. Maybe for you, you realize that you have had a stingy view of God and that's carried out as a stingy view of how you do life. I, I just want to lovingly say, if you're stingy with yourself, it's time to repent. And it's time to rearrange your life. It's time to use your time for what's eternal. It's time to use your person for what's eternal. It's time to use your stuff for what's eternal. Because that's the stuff that matters to Jesus. Lord, I want to thank you so much for your kindness. I want to thank you for your grace, for your graciousness. And Lord, I want to thank you for your generosity. I'm just reminded from Scripture that uh, generous would not be the term that you would use to describe the natural man or the natural heart. Romans 3 says, No one is righteous, no, not one, no one fears God. 2 Timothy 3 says that uh, in these times, people will be lovers of themselves and essentially lovers of stuff. That's the natural heart. We all know that heart. We, we understand that heart. We live that heart. We, we battle that heart. Yet you care about us. Thank you. You've pursued us. You've given your time. You've given your person. You've given your possessions for and to us. How generous you are. Lord God, you love people. Even tax collectors. <laughs> and even sinners. Lord, may we be increasingly free from the love of things. From the love of ourself and may we be increasingly firm on a love for people because people are what's going to last for eternity may we image you may we be growing in graciousness and generosity for your glory Christ's name.